So uh, just before we move on to the next part of the program, um, I've just got a little announcement to make. And it's a bit exciting. So you want to save the date into your diary because uh, we have it confirmed that we're going to be having the next uh, winter retreat, or the winter retreat, um, which is going to be starting on Saturday, June uh, 26th, going to, to Sunday, July 4th. So that's very exciting. Um, if you haven't done a retreat before, uh, then it's something I can highly recommend. And of course, we anyone who has been to the one that we had just recently is most welcome to come and immerse themselves again in, uh, in the wonderful retreat program. So yes, so that will culminate with an intensive as well on Sunday, July 4th. Uh, so that also is something you really want to, uh, want to, want to, to put into your diary. Welcome everyone to satsang, and we can have good company with each other, <laughs> and with the highest. So I'd like to begin the program, as I always do, by uh, quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who always began his programs by saying in Hindi, Sabko barisan mane kesat pemse hardik swagat, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And in that spirit, I welcome you all to tonight's program because satsang is a, a place, a time, and a space of open-heartedness and love and connectedness with the divine. <clears throat> I found a, a question answer I wanted to share with Baba uh, from one of his sessions. He, uh, the question was, I cannot say I believe in God. I cannot say I have faith in the mantra, the name of the, God, of the Lord. But I do have a longing for that belief. Can one acquire a conscious faith in the name of the Lord by being here with you? And Baba said, first you should begin to love your own self. And that was always the keystone of his teaching to kneel to your own self, love your own self. It's, it's extraordinary how much we tear into ourselves and hate ourselves. We don't measure up to some ideal we have in our head. Baba says, first you should begin to love your own self. If you're able to love yourself, you'll be able to love everybody else also. A person should never fall into dejection and despair by constantly harboring thoughts of inferiority, self-pity, or self-abnegation. We call such thoughts tearing thoughts, self-hatred, basically. You should always remember your own inner self with great love. You should always think of the dazzling flame of love which is present inside. That will fill you with great delight, great happiness, and great zest. Then you'll find great love welling up inside you, and that love will also keep you buoyant and zestful all the time. That could be a summary of Baba's teachings and the teaching of all the great sages. Against all appearances, there's a great joy within us, a great love within us, a great power within us. And the goal of yoga is to find that 
Our minds tell us all kinds of other things. All kinds of people will say other things to us. And uh, our own minds tell us different things. But the truth is, and this, this is the truth the sages stand for, that there's great beauty and great joy and great peace within every single one of us. And we have to learn to move away from hateful thoughts, thoughts of self-hatred and so on, and move towards the space of the clear space of good feeling inside of ourselves. And that's the goal of yoga, and that's why we gather together. And when you talk about good company, which is a crucial thing, the best company is the company of the self. And if you're going to have the company of thoughts, you should have the company of good thoughts, positive thoughts, uplifting thoughts, not the company of negative thoughts, because the thoughts we think are very, very close to us. Nobody sees them or experiences them except us inside the privacy of our own headspace. And if that's filled with self-hatred and poison and jealousy and rage, then that's the fruit we get. If we can purify that thinking mechanism, we can uplift our whole life. <clears throat> so this is Baba's teaching. This is the teaching of the sages. And I will never get tired of, um, of uh, celebrating the sages, because that's what they stand for. They stand for this possibility within every one of us. There's not one single one of us that doesn't have this space of goodness and greatness within us. No matter how twisted we've become, how beaten down we may have become, how full of despair and, and anger we may have become, that space still exists, and we can find that space. So I celebrate the great sages who celebrate and live that space. And, and um, uh, tonight, uh, celebrating one of them, I've had one program for this great being. By the way, uh, <clears throat> this week uh, I got my COVID shot, number one. And uh, it's very strange because Usually, I hear Baba talking to me, and then suddenly Bill Gates was talking to me. <laughs> and he was saying not to use the Apple phone anymore. <laughs> and uh, I was quite upset with that. But then he had some nice things to say. <laughs> and so anyway, tonight, our sage is... <laughs> <laughs> Bill Gates. <laughs> this is Swami Shivananda Saraswati of Rishikesh. Um, <clears throat> and uh, a great soul, a great uh, uh, yogi, great teacher, had great impact. Uh, what else do we have there? Uh, there he is with one of his disciples, uh, who's Swami Venkatesananda, who uh, later used to come to Baba and who uh, was one of my mentors later. Uh, next. And this is Swami Tejomayananda. You've heard that name, some of you have. And he was uh, one of Baba's disciples, major teacher around Baba at the end of Baba's life. 
And he had been with Swami Shivananda, and then later on found Baba and then toured with Baba and so on. And then finally, <laughs> there's Swami Venkatesananda, who you saw in the other picture uh, when he was much older, and a young Swami that was in Sydney, Sydney Ashram. And uh, he's telling me, I don't know what he's telling me. <coughs> you can read about it in my uh, memoir. I'll talk about it. <coughs> okay, so Swami Shivananda, he was born in 1887, and he died in 1963. And he's a great, uh, a great proponent. Uh, of yoga and Vedanta. You know, what we call uh, PR or advertising, in India they call propaganda, which I always found quite amusing, because propaganda for us has a, a negative connotation, but they said propaganda. But he was a great propagandist for yoga, very enthusiastic. He, he wrote hundreds of books, literally, at least a couple of hundred books, all like a cheerleader for yoga and path. Um, and they all are very similar. Says, Get up, face your day with great enthusiasm, do your practice, meditate, chant the name, attain, attain, attain. This is Swami Shivananda. <clears throat> so, very nice in small doses. <laughs> no, he's great. <clears throat> so, he's born in South India. Uh, his parents were great Shiva bhaktas. He became a doctor. And he served in Malaya for 10 years. And after a while, he, uh, he began to tire of serving only the body. And he started becoming interested in healing the soul. Uh, and therefore, at the age of 36, he left what he was doing there. And he returned to India to walk the spiritual path. It's a midlife crisis. Uh, there are many yogis who at so, abruptly at some point in their life suddenly change direction and go in the path towards God. Um, and so he went to Rishikesh, which is in North India in the foothills of the Himalayas. I did sadhana in Rishikesh and Hardwar early before I met Baba. Wonderful atmosphere there on the Ganges. And he went there and he met uh, his guru, Swami Vishwananda. I don't know anything about him, but I'm going to look into it. Anyway, he took sannyas, and then he settled down in Rishikesh. His ashram is still there, big ashram in, in Rishikesh. Uh, and he did intense practice, intense sadhana, intense meditation. Um, and he was also doubling as a doctor and treating the sick. And then he wandered all over India and met great beings, uh, including Ramana Maharshi. And he went to holy spots, uh, Kedarnath, Mount Kailas, places like that. And then finally, after 12 years, he began his work. He's, he founded the Divine Life Society. Uh, and my um, notes say he wrote almost 300 books and trained many of the disciples, one of which was Swami Venkatesananda. Uh, another one that you know of probably here, Satyananda, Swami Satyananda, 
who'd had a huge impact in the yoga scene in Australia, and others were Satchidananda, in, who was in, had an ashram in America. Uh, I think Nataraj studied with him. And then uh, the Vishnu Devananda in, in Canada, uh, and uh, many others. <clears throat> As I said, he was um, uh, a Vedantin and a yogi, a very strong yogi. And his, his, uh, it always has the flavor of intense effort, that's the yoga side, and intense renunciation, like, you know, the world is dust. That's the Vedanta side. So here are some things from Swami Shivananda. <clears throat> Question, what is Sahaja Samadhi? And um, Patanjali, for example, talks about Savikalpa Samadhi, Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Um, these are different trance states that you get into. And usually they say that Savikalpa Samadhi is a, a state where form is there. Like you might see a picture, a, a vision of Krishna, Shiva, and so on, and, but you're still in a Samadhi state, a state of merging. Uh, and then Nirvikalpa Samadhi is without any thought, near Vikalpa, no Vikalpas, no thought forms. And you just in, uh, absorbed in pure beingness the deep state of meditation. <clears throat> but Sahaja Samadhi is called the natural state. And this is a state that you can have while moving around, walking around, uh, doing your daily tasks. So Shivananda, you'll see, loves Sahaja Samadhi. He says, this Sahaja Samadhi is the real Samadhi. And those of you who studied some Patanjali know that samadhi is the goal of yoga, as Patanjali talks about it, that it's the end of concentration and its absorption in the, in the goal of meditation. That's called samadhi. <clears throat> so he says, it is chaitanya, not jad, which means it's alive and not dead, this kind of samadhi. It is maintained even during work and outer activities. Mind and body are used as perfect instruments in the service of the self and that is seated in the hearts of all. Sri Shankara, the founder of Vedanta, Shankaracharya, Lord Krishna, Lord Ram, did not move an inch from their being established in Brahman even during action. So it's saying that these great beings never lost contact with the divine even while moving around and acting in their life, doing their mundane tasks, meeting people and so on. They always were connected to the divine. He says, uh, King Janaka enjoyed true samadhi even while ruling his kingdom. He's the great uh, king sage. He's not just the king, but a sage, the fruition of, of uh, Plato's uh, philosopher king. Yeah. He never lost sight of Brahman even for a moment, he was put to the test and he said, even if the whole of my city is burnt, nothing is lost for me. I so this whole city got burned down, nothing was lost. <clears throat> 
I have the inexhaustible and imperishable wealth of the self. He who's established in samadhi keeps his mind and body in perfect balance and utilizes them in the service of humanity with atmabhav, connection with the self. He is ever fixed in Brahman. He is always in samadhi. In practical terms, what does this mean? It means that you live your life always completely composed, completely joyfully, completely peacefully, absorbed in the clear space of good feeling, absorbed in the self. Now imagine yourself like that, always cheerful, always open, always happy, unperturbed by whatever happens. Can you imagine yourself that? Barely. <laughs> but but that's, that's the state he's talking about. Is that a great achievement to, ha to attain such a state? Yes, it's a great achievement. It doesn't happen by accident. You can't get it through drugs or alcohol. You can get a five-minute version of it, but you can't attain it except through yoga, through serious meditation and inner work. He says, he's always in samadhi. There's no tossing of the mind for him under any condition. He stands adamantine uh, on account of his knowledge of the self. When I saw this word adamantine, I realized that I'm stuck between two cultures. I didn't know whether it was adamantine or adamantine. It turns out one is American and one is Australian. So you see, so if I get a little confused, it happens like that. What do you guys say? Yeah, Americans say adamantine. <laughs> but what do the English say? Whatever they say is the right way. Anyway. <clears throat> anyway, stands like rock. <clears throat> Real samadhi should be kept up as much in action as in meditation. Shaivism, there's the distinction between uh, Shiva Vyapti and Atma Vyapti. Atmavyapti referring to the ability to go into deep meditation. Uh, and then the other ability is, is Shiva Vyapti, which is the ability to take the peace of meditation and live it in your life. And both of those are very important, actually. So it's, but of course, if you meditate regularly, it will start seeping into your life, and then you'll be much more uh, intelligent and, and uh, uh, unperturbed as you live your life. He says, this is the real test of one's inner strength and realization. A samadhi that one enters into in the mountain caves and forests with closed eyes, but that is broken or shattered during work, is no samadhi at all. In the, in the old days, uh, there'd be certain uh, of the disciples in Baba's ashram who'd say, hey, Baba, this, I can't take it. There are too many people here. They're talking too much. There's too much going on, too many power trips. Everything's going crazy here. And um, I want to go to a cave somewhere and meditate. And Baba would say, this is the real cave. Uh, if you went to a cave, you'd meditate, get yourself in a high state. Then you'd come down, you'd see three people, and they'd bring you down. He'd say, this is the crucible, is to meditate right here amidst all the people and live and discipline your mind and be able to do it there, then you really can have attainment. He says, the experience of samadhi cannot be described in words. Words are finite. 
One will have to feel it through direct spiritual experience. Important line, direct spiritual experience. These are not theoretical things. These are not intellectual things. But these are things to be experienced. The teachings are great. They're helpful. They're inspirational. But it's what we do inside of ourselves in our meditation that counts. He says, samadhi is blissful union with the supreme self. Just as the river becomes one with the ocean, the individual soul becomes one with the supreme self. All doubts, fears, sorrows, delusions, dualities, and differences disappear. <clears throat> Question, another one. It seems like the goal of sadhana is so far off as to be unrealistic. Is it really worth it? What do you think he'll say? No, it's not worth it. Give it up. <clears throat> Swami Shivananda says, you can realize God consciousness in this very moment, but you must have the intense longing for attaining God consciousness. You must have the firm self-determination, I will realize today. That's a dharna, okay? I will realize today. I will know the self today. I'll get rid of my ignorance today. <clears throat> you must carefully watch how far you've succeeded in this practice in the morning meditation. You must keep up the practice while walking, talking, eating, etc. This is cheerleading. It's even on this cheerleader. If you fail in the evening meditations, <clears throat> you must exert to get it in the morning meditation. You must practice self-analysis well. Remember, you are the physician for yourself. You are your own savior. Don't wait for uh, the second coming. <clears throat> You're your own savior. Nobody can save you from this ocean of worldly existence. Even God cannot do anything in this matter. Everything runs on well-established laws. Don't become a fatalist. This is very much Shivananda's attitude. Don't be passive. Don't be a fatalist. When I had a, a really bad period uh, in Ganeshpuri, which I write about, uh, it's because I learned some astrology and I saw all the planets going round and I became a fatalist. I thought these planets are like little executioners and they were coming, and there's nothing you can do about it. There goes Saturn going by there, and it's just going to do that, and Mars going through there. And I became uh, a fatalist. And Baba said, do intense mantra. Be very active. And that got rid of that very quickly. He says, rely on your own self. Have right exertion. This is Shivananda. Have right exertion. Make right effort. Make right effort. If you don't make right effort, you will be assailed by negative thoughts, tearing thoughts. The negativity will overwhelm you. And then when you get the negativity overwhelms you, then you say, oh, what's the use? I can't do anything. And you just get overwhelmed by it. You know what I'm talking about? Is it just me? Yeah. <laughs> So you have to make, even though you, the last thing you want to do is to do some, make some effort, say the mantra, 
practice some meditation, that's exactly what you should do in those cases. <clears throat> he says, fatalism will bring on wholesale inertia and tamasic darkness. <laughs> right exertion is itself the essence of the Lord. Destiny is, not, is only the right exertion of your previous birth. Isn't the inspirational? Yes. Yes. Come on. Get up. Get dressed. Do you sadhana. <coughs> I love it. <coughs> Baba was very similar in some ways, although, um, I don't know. Question. <clears throat> Could Swamiji talk about jealousy and fault-finding? <clears throat> Swami Shivananda. Now, this is a whole amazing anatomy of, of uh, certain negative states. <clears throat> he certainly thought about it. He says, jealousy is a form of continuous anger. Uh, envy is a form of jealousy. It is a form of hatred. Blaming, accusing, mocking, ridiculing, unjust criticism, censure, caviling, vilifying, tail-bearing, backbiting, scandal-mongering, fault-finding, complaining, all proceed from jealousy, either subtle or gross, a hatred of various sorts. Isn't that extraordinary? You couldn't come up with that catalog, could you? Fantastic. <clears throat> you can make a rap song of it, no? Blaming, accusing, mocking, ridiculing, unjust criticism, censure, vilifying. Okay. <clears throat> I love it. They all indicate lack of proper mental culture and meanness of the person. They should be removed. The person, the person. No, the person, yes. <clears throat> he would remove the person, too. Okay. He said, all right, so now he's got a bunch of them. Taunting is to censure sarcastically. Teasing is to torment or irritate with jests. You ever get guilty of teasing? I might have done that a few times. No, no, you ever know? Never. <laughs> Sneering is to show contempt by the expression of the face as by turning up the nose. Sneering, that's not nice. And sometimes, uh, what's another one? Uh, raising your eyebrows. Frowning is to wrinkle the brow in anger. Mocking is to laugh at in ridicule, to mimic in ridicule, Ridiculing is to make a wit, exposing one to laughter. It is derision or mockery. It is exposing one to merriment. It, you know, it's, this is very good. It's very good. It shows how many, all these are hurtful. They're, they're dumping of anger, you could say. And the law of the universe is that it comes back to you, so you have to be careful with these things. Good to be conscious. A joke is a clever insult. I never would use do that, would I? No. You must avoid all these when you move with others as they cause rupture between friends, heated feelings, and a sense of 
hostility, words must be soft and arguments hard. Be strong-minded argument. It means intelligent, but words should be soft. Externally consider others. Uh, a single harsh word will break the friendship of long years in a minute. Word or sound has got tremendous power. It is Shabda Brahman. It is a form of God, a very subtle form of God. It is Shakti. Language is Shakti. So words are so powerful. There is a world of difference between just comments and censure. Just comments is not censure. It is permissible. It is unavoidable, too. You can avoid it only when you shut yourself alone in a Himalayan cave. If you have no hatred for a person, if you're not jealous of him, and if you point out to your friend in the course of conversation his weaknesses and virtues also, Mr. Thomas is an honest, loving, kind, sympathetic man. He is humble. He speaks the truth, but is extremely irritable and hot-tempered. That's a quote. <laughs> uh, this is not censure at all though you point out the defect of Mr. Thomas. In censure, you vilify a man. You point out his defects only. You exaggerate his weaknesses. You see what he's saying? It's okay to be realistic and say there's his characteristics, but you're in, it's the intention, isn't it? If you're trying to put down and vilify. You point out the defect in everybody of your own accord without being asked. In your heart of hearts, you are jealous of this man. You want to vilify him. If you always look into the faults of others, you'll actually imbibe those faults by constantly thinking of them. Always look into the bright side of a person. Ignore his defects. Hatred will vanish. Love will increase. It's quite, a, it's quite an anatomy of this uh, thing, isn't it? Extraordinary. Fault-finding, caviling, and scandal-mongering are defects. Defects and weaknesses are two distinct qualities. Anger is a defect. Tea habit is a weakness. So the difference between a defect and a weakness. Anger is a defect. Tea habit is a weakness. I mean, yeah, drinking tea, addiction to tea. It's just a weakness. <laughs> to be over-sentimental is a weakness. Both defects and weaknesses should be removed by substituting the opposite virtues. Well, does that make you sweat, or is it... Nice, huh? You like that? Pretty good. <clears throat> I got another one called How to Overcome Jealousy. You want to hear this? <clears throat> okay. Swami Shivananda says, there are three ways of destroying jealousy. One, mitya drishti. You know, mitya, jagan mitya, the world is an illusion. So you have the, the vision. Drishti is a vision. So the vision that everything is dust. Bhagavan Nityananda, he says, everything is dust. He says, the whole world with its enjoyments, wealth, and luxury is quite illusory. This is Vedanta, isn't it? Vedanta in action. It's all dust. What do I gain by being jealous of another? When anyone thinks like this seriously several times a day, the vritti of jealousy will slowly die. The thought form of jealousy. If you say, well, what's the use? What do I care? It's all for nothing. And then gradually jealousy will die. This vritti 
is the root of all miseries. It is deep-rooted. Okay, that's one way. Say everything is dust, then you don't get jealous, right? If nothing matters, why are you jealous of it? Number two is <clears throat> called bhakti bhav. Uh, it uh, means uh, the feeling of universal brotherhood. This is brohood, universal bro. Everyone's your bro. <clears throat> you are not jealous of your intimate friend or loving brother. In these cases, you become one with your friend or brother. You feel inwardly that all belongs, that belongs to them is yours. So you don't feel, except brothers can often get jealous of each other, can't they? You'll have to do this with everybody. You'll have to love everybody as your brother or friend. You'll have no vritti of jealousy. So if you can see everyone as your beloved, then you won't be jealous. <clears throat> and then the third form is this. He says, this is a developed stage, the third form. Repeat the formula, I am the all. I am all in all. Feel yourself everywhere. Think there is nothing save the self, your own self, everywhere. So what is this? What, what method is this? This is like Shiva Samavesha, you could say, the G statement. I am the self, I am everywhere. I am, all of this is me. These are great um, Mahavakyas, great G statements. Jealousy will slowly vanish by entertaining this Atma Bhav. If you can see everything as one, then there's no jealousy. You must always entertain this idea. <clears throat> God is everywhere. God is everything. God is all-pervading. You'll have infinite joy, which can only be felt. It cannot be adequately described in words. If you place a big mirror in front of a dog and keep some bread in front, the dog at once barks by looking at its reflection in the mirror. It foolishly imagines that there's another dog after the bread. Even so, man sees his own reflection only through his mind mirror and all the people, but foolishly imagines, like the dog, they're all different from him and fights on account of hatred and jealousy. So there you go, complete lesson in jealousy and, and so on. <clears throat> okay. Okay, I'll just do one, one more little one we can take into meditation. <clears throat> Shivananda is talking about the eternal self and uh, proof that the self exists. He says this, you've been a child playing in your mother's lap. All of us were. Then you grew up to be a school-going boy or girl. Then you become a sighing lover in adolescence. Then you reach adulthood. Lastly, you become a veteran with gray hairs. You've had a variety of experiences. There must be an unchanging self to witness these changing experiences. So, you know, if you've always been there behind all the experiences. So many things have changed in life. In my life, you know, 
Uh, I was had this profession and that profession. I lived in a different country. And still, it's, there's oneness that ties all my experience together. And many things change. My ideas have changed. My values have changed even. My thoughts have changed. My clothing has changed. Everything. <clears throat> but there's been something that's always been there, and that's what he's talking about. What is that something? There must be an unchanging self to witness these changing experiences. Otherwise, remembrance of these experiences is impossible. That unchanging self is Brahman. So when you hear that, you turn within and you say, what is it that's unchanging in my experience? There is something that's given oneness to my whole experience. He's saying that, that something is Brahman. And you can't really point at it. You have to look and see what that is. That's the unchanging self. It is the substratum for all these changing experiences of life. An invariable self must continuously link childhood, boyhood, manhood, and old age. Spandakarka says the same thing. There must be something that links all the thoughts, feelings, experiences, and ages of life together because we say I, and we, we regard all that as part of the one thing. And so look within and meditate on that, and that's the self. And as we look to that underlying substratum, we get less attached to the superficial externals. And then we become freer and happier and more peaceful because our attachment lessens and our connectedness with the source within increases. And the way to do that is through meditation. So let's do that. And we go inside. And Swami Shivananda has, like all the great beings, pointed to a particular experience, a particular place within that exists within every one of us. And so for 10 minutes, meditate on the self. And in that space, there won't be any other. You won't have a husband there or a wife. You won't have a child or a parent. You won't have a teacher or a therapist. You won't have a political leader. You won't have a, a friend or an enemy. You'll just be you with yourself. And let yourself go deep within. And the sages tell us that there are great riches, great resources in that inner space. So let yourself sink into that space and know that space and be that space. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satyunath Maharaj Ki Jai. Let's meditate. Hi, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not check out Swamiji's latest book, Ganesh Pri Days, Memoirs of a Western Yogi. It's about the time he spent in India with his guru, Baba Muktananda, in the 1970s, and it's a great read. To get a copy, go to ganeshpridays.com. That's G-A-N-E-S-H-P-U-R-I, days.com. Wherever you are in the world, you can get the book on Kindle or print it in your own country.